You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Barkley in, gets by Hunt, going deep. Oh, and he's got him! Shepard inside the 20. Shepard just broke the tackle of Mitchell and takes it down to the four-yard line. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Hello, Grump. Happy Monday to you. Oh. you get uh, closer and closer to NFL Combine and free agency, and you know the deep dark days of February are almost over. So nice. We have a we have a 12 month NFL calendar, so we're not just sitting around and twiddling our thumbs for a long time. Which well, is pretty good. close. We twiddle our thumbs pretty often here. But... <laughs> yeah. Well, the way the Giants have been the last few years. <laughs> We've been twiddling, twiddling our thumbs you... for half a decade. It usually happens from September to January. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, we are continuing our uh, sort of state of the roster position by position. Today we're going to be looking in the defensive backfield. We started in the offensive backfield with quarterbacks and running backs. Now we're moving to the defensive side of the ball and looking at safeties and corners. Um, so it, it's kind of a, a tale of uh, two cities. I don't know it, what, what the phrase is here, but wait. I don't know Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we went from we talked about quarterbacks and running backs, and we pretty much were exclusively talking about getting backups because they were the two most set players on the roster between mm-hmm. Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. And now we're flipping that to not complete unknowns, but a definitely a different situation. Yeah, and I think you know the real topic of today's episode is what do we really have? Yeah. You know, did, we, did we have a perfect storm last year of all bad things happening that – have skewed all of our perceptions of what we actually have on this roster, or did we just see ineptitude, you know, from a, a performance and coaching standpoint? Um, you know, we invested a lot last year in the last couple of years in drafting, you know, the secondary of the future for this team. And sure, yeah. what we have to kind of evaluate, and it's really, you know, we can talk about it on this show, but it's really up to Dave Gettleman and the new coaching staff is you know, for all of these uh, young cornerbacks who did struggle last year, is it because A, they were inexperienced and put into a fire? B, they don't have a lot of talent and we whiffed on drafting these guys. C, we had a coaching staff that had a scheme that did not put them in the best position to succeed. And D, a coaching staff that didn't adapt to what they have as the season went on. So, Again, I, I, we can kind of tackle each one of those one at a time on this show, but just to say, oh, this secondary sucks, you know, we have to rebuild may or may not be the case. Yeah, and, and the the bigger issue that the coaching staff is going to have to evaluate is it couldn't be any combination of those letters too. I mean, it could be some lack of talent here, some lack of utilization of talent there, you know, some coaching that – has already been rectified. It could be any number of things. Uh, it's not going to be an easy thing for this coaching staff to figure out what went wrong. Um, but there are some undeniable things here, right? DeAndre Baker and Sam... Well, before before I get into it, this is the current situation at cornerback. Um, right now, under contract for next year, the Giants have DeAndre Baker 
and Sam Beal, who I can we we can assume are penciled in as our starting outside corners. Um, Corey Ballantyne, and to a certain extent Julian Love. He seems to be flip flopping between corner and safety, so we're going to talk about him a lot. Today, for the most part, I'm going to lump him in with safety because that's where he played the majority of his snaps last year. And uh, somebody that nobody knows named Derek Beatty. That's the corner situation right now. Um, What are your initial thoughts when I say those to you? You know, I like to – you have so many young guys that are the anchor, you know, of this of the cornerback team that it's very difficult to kind of say you know throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think I, I think there's enough talent potential that I'd like to see them develop in a situation that suits them best. Um, I you know it'd be nice to have somebody back there with you know more experience, but not but not at the cost of not having the talent to play out there. I think that was some of the the problems we had, you know, particularly like more in the safety position in cornerback with a guy like Anton Bethea, where he may have known the old defense, but quite frankly, what a shell of what he used to be. So you know, I think I saw enough from these guys. And it's hard for some of you might believe to think that we keep developing them and hope we're put in a better position to succeed this year. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, I mean, Baker and Beal were high investments, but they're they're still pretty unproven after last year. Um, Beal obviously had a whole year where he didn't play, um, and he started the year not able to play last year. Uh, they've both shown glimpses of talent, but the jury's still out. Depth is clearly an issue here, but given the investment already poured into these two players, it's very unlikely that Dave Gettleman is going will will invest in a High that he'll invest a, a lot High of draft resources, capital. draft yeah. capital, or or even free agency um, for real competition for these two guys. Unless for some reason an elite talent is going to fall to him, i.e., you know your highest graded corner in the draft or or a corner in the free agency market that for some reason is is not garnering the the type of attention that you would expect. Um, the bigger issue seems to be specifically in the slot corner spot, I would say. You know, we, we, for a time here, we had undrafted free agent Grant Haley, who showed some flashes, especially in run support, but he struggled in coverage when it mattered. You know, he would yeah. get picked on. And the bottom line is for a slot corner, it's nice to have someone who can help in run support, but, you know, job one in your job description is being a coverage guy as a quarterback. Yeah, absolutely, so that's yeah. a problem. Uh, one thing I wanted to add, Grump, before we go any further is, you know, adding to that perfect storm of problems, the really inability to generate a consistent pass rush also hurt this secondary as well. Right. It will so, it will look worse that way. Yeah. Um, than it really is, but. But that, again, that just adds that overall, you know, cauldron of all these things that are wrong. So you know, again. When you are Dave Gettleman, you're this coaching staff, and you're like, how are you going to tailor this defense, you know, to what you have and what needs to be added? You know, those things are all will be factored. Right. Um, additionally, we had uh, Corey Ballantyne, who was one of those draft talents that just fell in the draft. Uh, he showed some promise, but he's still pretty unproven. It seems to be that a veteran backup for the outside or a stud in the slot are likely candidates for the improvements at this spot. 
in this offseason, right? So, like, if there is uh, a great slot corner hitting the free agency market, that's something that they might invest money in. If there's a veteran guy on the outside who's going to be a middle ground uh, contract, that's another guy they could use. Probably not both, but, you know, one of the two, and then they can kind of move on from there and see what the free agency market is and then adjust draft based on that. Um, so I kind of looked at some of the free agents hitting the market and focused in on a few that I think fit those descriptions. And for the veteran outside guy, there were a couple interesting names. So, you know, Jimmy Smith from the Baltimore Ravens is 32. He's really, really talented. He's had some injury issues in the past. So maybe you don't count on him to start because his job won't be to be the future of this team. He'll be the veteran presence that is so sorely lacking in the secondary, um, but also able to come in and play at a very high level. Um, well, let's let's kind of backtrack a second before we talk about free agency. Around the league, you know, what is the market for a quarterback right now? Are we talking these are very, you know, high commodities like a left tackle where, you know, It'd be nice to have a guy who can be that veteran presence, but the cost is just going to be ridiculous. Or, you know, do, is there enough of a market out there for a guy like him to say, "I think I can start somewhere and get the money that I can get from the, the Giants"? What's what do you? How do you feel the overall league stacks right now for the market? For there's for actually, I would say there's a decent market for corners right now in in uh, in terms of uh, supply. Okay. So, I mean, you know, just rattling some names up. The, the big guys that I think the Giants are just totally out on in terms of need and, and cost are Byron Jones and James Bradbury and, and Darkus Denard, Bradley Roby, uh, Chris Harris is a free agent. Those are just the top five. I mean, I can go down the list with Kendall Fuller and Brian Poole, Ronald Darby. And we're not we're not shopping at that supermarket this year. I mean, no, again, there's, exactly. there's too many. There's too many. Even though we have all, a lot of cap space, the needs of this team are greater than a backup cornerback, which is really what we're. If we're we're assuming that they are going to roll, you know, with Beal and with DeAndre Baker going forward. Yeah, and I, I think that's a pretty safe bet. But you know, guys like Jimmy Smith and and the other guy I was thinking of was Prince of Mucamara. They might think of themselves as starters in this league, but when you have a crowded market like this, they kind of get pushed to the wayside. So they can probably be had for less money than they think they deserve. And, you know, the thing is with contracts like this, these aren't the guys that get signed in March. Yeah, I was just going to say, my guess would be a signing in the secondary like this, you won't see happen right away. This might be a, you know... Later in free agent market season, we pick up a guy. And and just because we do that does not mean it's a scrap heap guy or no. some guy, the only guy left. This is strategic signing, strategic use of the cap. So Yeah, and, and it's always important to keep in mind that these contract negotiations go between two parties. There's an agent and then there's a you know, general managers. So they're both vying for the best deal for them. General manager wants a low deal, and uh, you know, 
the, the agent wants the, the highest deal possible. <laughs> so sometimes this posturing, it just takes time until one side folds or they come to a mutual agreement somewhere in the middle. And, you know, the, 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 quick, the quick signings are the ones where this guy is worth every penny and we need to outbid everyone for him. Those are the quick ones. Or if there was some kind of weird deal in the mix before free agency actually opened and, you know, guys want to stay in the area where they're already at or, you know, whatever. Yeah, right. Um, But for the most part, this is kind of what happens. And it doesn't mean that a GM was incompetent and it doesn't mean that that a player isn't as good as somebody else. It just means that negotiations happened. So, yes, a Jimmy Smith or a Prince of Mucamara being signed to the Giants, which, by the way, would be very, very cool for Prince of Mucamara to end his career here. I mean, it. I just think those kinds of things are interesting. Um, but it's a different Giant team than when he left. That'd be interesting. Sure. You know, it's you know, it's it's. Uh, you hear these stories and coming back, and remember this. Giant fans and fans of any team in particular live in their own world, their own bubble, where they think that somebody left and four jobs later, so they still think they're giants, even though they moved on four times. So, you know, who knows how many times Vincent Moore has thought of the Giants in the last three years? You know, probably, well, I mean, I'm sure he's done. thought of the fact that he won a Super Bowl here, but right, right, but I mean, that's a that's a long time ago, and. We as giant fans and we as fans kind of have this, you know, longer memory and deeper memory of events than professionals do. We don't have that passion behind it, and you know, we're just living and dreaming and breathing their team. So, absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- th- those are the two veteran guys that I really think are are a possible presence on the outside. Um, if they decide to go the route of throwing money at a stud slot guy in free agency, there's a couple of guys that I think make sense, and there's one guy that I really think has a good shot of being here. Uh, Kendall Fuller from the Chiefs is only 25. He's a really, really good slot corner. He's coming off of a down year, but he was injured all year. And so, you know, that down year coupled with the... the uh, crowded market might actually drive his price down a little bit. Mackenzie Alexander from Minnesota is 26. He's really, really good in the slot position despite Minnesota's defense having, um, well, I, I guess their defense was pretty good, but overall the team underachieved from what people expected this year. Grump, um, let me ask you a question about, you know, you saying what's the thing's value may drop. Doesn't a Super Bowl premium kind of offset that a little bit? Eh, a lot of these guys, you know, because they're Super Bowl champs, there seems to be like maybe a little bit, if not an overinflation of what their value is, it definitely could offset what that, you know, market discount is. I mean, they've been they've been seen more lately. They've been seen in good situations. They, you know, seen being successful. I mean, you know, it could definitely, but I, I think it's pretty – I, I, in the case of Kendall Fuller, I think it's pretty understood that he was not one of the cornerstones of the Chiefs' defense that led them to a Super Bowl um, oh, around the league. But still, but you know, having that, you know, something you can, you know, a, an agent can put in his tool chest when he's, you know, sure going to have those negotiations too. So it, it could. Um, but what's interesting is that all of this is kind of moot because the guy I think has a real shot is Logan Ryan 
formerly Tennessee Titan, even more formerly New England Patriot. Worked with Joe Judge. He's 29. He's a pretty solid slot corner. And, you know, I think that given his age and the fact that he already got his second deal, this would now be his third deal, he can probably give about three to four years of service for less money. So rather than the $9 million a year that you can talk about with Kendall Fuller or Mackenzie Alexander, you might be getting 5 or $6 million a year for Logan Ryan. Well, let me ask you a question now since you're you know, talking about service term. If we're going into free agency to fill this spot, are we looking at a short-term fix until we draft somebody? Or are we talking about somebody who's going to man that position for the next couple of years? I think ideally – you're always looking for somebody who either is serviceable for three to four years or is a cornerstone at this time. Mm-hmm. And then when you get closer to training camp and all that, you start looking to plug the, this is a minor hole, we need a patch, one year, two year deal. So for right now, I, I think Logan Ryan is is one of those three, four year deals. He's not a cornerstone but he can provide solid service for a short period of time. You can win with him, but he's not the guy who's going to carry you there. You're not going to build around a Logan Ryan. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, so to, for instance, he's not your Jabril Peppers that you're going to trade for. Mm-hmm. But, but he is definitely a guy who can get you somewhere. <clears throat> Does and, he have any... Any flexibility in this game where you can pop outside if we needed him out, out there? Or Absolutely. He's purely yeah. a slot. Yeah, no, I mean, he can pop outside. Uh, you know, I just think that he excels in the slot corner spot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, more than anything, and I know that we talk about this being like overvalued and everything, but his veteran presence, I think, provides a lot. You know, I I know that people complain about this all the time, like, oh, in the locker room, old guys, you know, whatever. What does that even mean, the veteran presence? I I get that. I really do because I do think it's overvalued and the media likes to um, grab onto those things because general managers like to say them. But this is a position group with the defensive backs where there is almost no veteran voice whatsoever. This is a very young group. I think there's two scenarios you're talking about the veteran voice. I think there's a veteran voice of a guy – who can still lead by example because he can still play. And then you have the guys that, you know, they're just older guys, but they can't do it anymore. Right. You know, that is one thing to show a guy how to tie his shoelaces. Another guy to show him how to run in those shoes. And I think, uh, you know, some of the guys we got in the last couple of years that were there to implement the better defense can't actually execute the better defense anymore. So the leadership, you know, the, at the end of the day, you lead by example. You know, you could be a rah-rah guy, but if you, you know, what good is it if you suck or you can't get on the field? So, you're talking about guys now that are, you know, younger than the last batch that was trying to help the, the previous coaching staff implement something. So, I, I think it's a little bit of a difference than what we saw before. Absolutely, yeah. Um, turning towards the draft at this position. Um. Once you start implementing the draft, I mean, you can focus on that that weakness at the slot position, and your your nickel and dime guys. But once you're, when, like I said, when it comes to elite talents falling, 
I mean, I don't think that just because you have DeAndre Baker and Sam Beal that you pass on a chance at Jeff Okuda from Ohio State. I don't think this. I think we said this last week. We were talking about the quarterback and running back, where I think really other than Saquon Barkley and possibly Daniel Jones, I don't think there's one person on this roster that is someone you change your draft plan because you have this guy on the roster. Absolutely. I mean, if the Giants for some if for some reason Tua drops. And he's available for the Giants at four. I would say go out and get two. I mean, we're talking about guys that are potential, you know, and not using the term generational, but real difference makers. I mean, we think Daniel Jones is going to be a solid NFL starter for a while in this league. But if someone like a, you know, him or Joe Burrow this year for some reason dropped to four, Daniel Jones is not preventing us from drafting him. Now, right. Saquon Barkley is somebody that, you know, if, if the running back of the, of, the, of the year, you know, is out there, probably not. But really, no one on this roster. And that, so that goes by any of the quarterbacks or anybody on the offensive line or, or anybody on, on this team. So I think we should set that straight right now about this roster. About, You're absolutely uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Okuda is that top guy. I mean, he is skyrocketed this year from being a a really good corner to the clear number one corner in the country coming out of the draft this year. Um, He's phenomenal. I mean, like, when it comes to pass coverage, he is already at an NFL level. Um, Best corner I've ever seen? No. But um, definitely worth a top ten pick. Well, he comes from a program that just churns out cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen a couple, we've seen some come through this, you know, team come and go. I mean, they just they're ready to play in the NFL right away. Now, experience obviously makes them better, but they don't come out completely green and raw. No, not at all. And what's interesting is that I thought at the beginning of this year that Florida's C.J. Henderson would be the top corner coming out in the draft based on the steady progression he's had in his college career there. And then this year happened and he just, I don't know. He just didn't play as well as I thought he would this year. It Something seemed off. He checked out. It's, it's very simple. I think, I mean, CJ Henderson's best year was when he was a freshman. He played right. fantastic. Him and Marco Wilson, you know, all of a sudden were these two true freshmen playing together and playing pretty darn well. I mean, Flora is another one of these schools that vies for the title of DBU, you know, defensive back university, them, LSU, Ohio State, all have equal claims to the, to the, the title. Um, for, and for whatever reason, you know, Marco Wilson, sophomore year, you know, ACL out for the year. CJ had an injury last year in the, uh, in the 2018 season, missed the Georgia game, you know, was out in the first quarter of it, changed the game, changed the season for Florida. This year, it just seemed like he was playing in fourth gear instead of should have been playing in fifth gear. You know, when when you're watching, you know, when you're watching games, you know, when you're seeing cornerbacks continuously on 50-50 balls, never winning those 50-50 balls, never making that play where that last second burst of energy to, you know, 
knock down a pass looks like a for sure completion, not doing the things you need to do against elite receivers. You know, I was at the uh, Florida LSU game in Baton Rouge this year. And even for you guys listening to the podcast who don't, college, don't follow college football as much as I do, you know, you know the talent that's on LSU. You saw them in the, in the championship game. LSU was spotlight a lot this year. You know, elite receivers, guys like Jefferson and, and, and as such. And they uh, they shredded the secondary. And uh, it was it was very disappointing to see. And, you know, he's a guy who elected not to play in the bowl game to, to prepare for it. So, you know, when you add all these things up, watching from week to week to week, it wasn't a question of, like, his technique wasn't getting better. It's just I just didn't think he... Gave 110% all year, and that always worries me going forward. So I'm not as high on him as I would have been at this time last year, when it was assumed he was going to be going. There was chatter about him being a top five pick coming out of the draft. I don't think he'll be a top five pick anymore, but, you know, we'll see. You know, combines have a funny thing, and, and draft week chatter rises and lowers some people too, so... Absolutely, yeah. And and like you said, at this time last year, I thought he was going to be the number one corner coming off the board in 2020, and I virtually forgot about him midway through the year. He just seemed like a regular corner for Florida. Yeah, it's I mean... just was, that guy. He. I mean, there were several games this year where, again, like I say, the 50-50 balls that, you know, the elite quarterback should be making a play on, we were, and specifically, he wasn't. And if you go back and scroll through my timeline you know, at the Cranky Fan, you'll find more than one tweet saying, is C.J. Henderson still on this team? Hmm. You know, is he still in the locker room getting ready to play? You know, It's just kind of like the disappearing act. It's, you don't see it on the elite guys on a, more than once or twice in a season. And uh, you saw it with him. So, What are the other uh, corners – that I think has a chance uh, to wind up with the Giants playing on the outside um, is Damon Arnett from Ohio State. Playing opposite Jeff Okuda, uh, he really, uh, from a talent perspective, should be going in the first round, no question. Um, he apparently had some character issues earlier on in his college career. There seems to be some level of varying opinion of where he'll be drafted. Now, I, I don't know the nature of these things, like what his character concerns are, how long ago they were, if he's managed to turn his act around, but what I do know is these character things can cause a high talent to fall, and if he did in fact move on from whatever these issues are, he can be had later on than expected. And what I was talking about at the top of this was Unless it's an elite talent falling, they're probably not going to invest very highly in the outside corner position. So this would be one of those scenarios where an elite talent can fall and be had later on. You know, obviously they're going to have to do their due diligence to figure out what exactly were the issues. But this is a guy who's physical and and he's feisty. He challenges receivers right up from the line of scrimmage until the ball hits the ground. Um, You know, he is... A ready and willing tackle. The kid's a football player. You can see it. And he belongs in this conversation with the C.J. Hendersons and the Jeff Okudas. 
but he's not a name that you hear a lot because of these issues. So he's one more guy to just uh, kind of keep in the back of your mind when it comes to draft day. I mean, the bottom line is again, as you know, to finish up talking about corners, you know, the Giants do have a lot, a lot of needs on this roster. They need to plug some holes for guys who need to be starters on this team. So I don't know what the priority is for actually, you know, picking a corner or not. You know, again, like you say, guys falling, guys falling into their lap may change things, but I, I, I don't expect to see a cornerback that high on the draft board for them. You know, not even maybe day two, maybe something we see later in day three or something. So, Yeah, exactly. Again, like I said, the slot corner position is, is a lot more of an issue. Those guys will be picked in the later rounds. Some guys to keep your, your eyes on are Lavert Hill from Michigan. He's quick and speedy, and he plays the ball really well in the air. And John Reed from Penn State also they're, – they're almost identical in the way they play. They're very good. They're not fantastic. They're not going to go in the first two rounds. They're probably not even going to go in the third. You're thinking more of a fourth-round pick guy who can surprise. And a lot of these corners that, that excel in the slot – are often not very high draft picks. So um, where they're drafted is not really indicative of how impactful they are at their position. So, just Yeah, I mean, it's mind. also, right, it's, it's a, where they're drafted also kind of is a, might be an antiqu- antiquated view of what the value of specific positions are, too, where you just don't want to pay for position X because just, you know, play, play out that much money for position X does not mean that they're good or bad. It's just what they feel the value for that position is more so than the person itself. And that may be reflected in draft picks. So. And moving forward to safety. Um, this position is probably one of the more complained about positions in terms of the current personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, penciled in as starters again. We have Jabril Peppers, who the Giants traded for last year, in what is a very controversial move. Um, and Antoine Bethea, who let's, was uh, go, ahead, go ahead. Let's let's tangent for a second. Do you feel that the trade we're a year out now is as controversial as it was a year ago? Do you feel the Giants have gotten? It's not as as lopsided as the perception of the trade is today as it was at this point last year. Or is so, it still is it still too early to tell seeing what happens with the draft picks? The trade I don't think is as much about who was acquired versus what was given up and where people view this team and where they think Dave Gettleman views this team and you know is this a team that's really competing? Are we rebuilding? Can we win while we rebuild? Why did we get rid of you know, one of the young superstars of the league just to get this guy. And I don't think it's as much about who was obtained, who won the trade versus GM speak. So the trade criticism, I think, is really just... Not that it's not founded in any sort of logical thinking. I just think that... It's all perception. Yeah, it's just how you're taking it. The bottom line is, if we didn't sign him to the contract, if the, I think a throwaway line of 
we didn't sign the guy just to trade him and they turn around to trade him. That perception of both of those things makes, you know, what you got back for him seem almost secondary to what is this team doing? Right. And if you scrape away the, what is this team doing? Even though you don't have all the information that this front office did have, I think that automatically makes it a little more of a level playing field for evaluating what we got in return. And, you know, Odell Beckham didn't have a great year this year at all with Cleveland. The whole team was disappointing, but, you know, numbers weren't quite there. He had his share of the little annoyances that, because you're in Cleveland, aren't as amplified as much as they were would have been in New York. So I think, you know, I, I think it's the trade is still a to be determined on whether they got the value they should have from a guy like Beckham mm-hmm. on the field and off. But uh, I am not ready at this point to say, you know, that was a franchise altering trade in the wrong direction. No, not at all. Um, but Getting again, back to- <laughs> when, when you talk about Jabril Peppers, you, you talk about a yeah. guy – you talk about a guy who came into the league from the draft was, you know, he came from the big school in Michigan. He he played a bunch of positions. He could play both sides of the ball, and he was this phenomenal athlete. And then he went to the pros, and he just kind of was, you know, a young guy. He had some athleticism. He wasn't talked about. So, I mean, if we had traded, say, just a draft pick and got also, Jabril Peppers, then that's a great deal. It's also on a shitty team too. I mean, well, it's I tough mean, to, it's tough to, you know, it's, it's a difficult position to, if not stand out, have the perception of standing out on a Cleveland and be a bad Cleveland too. So Jabril Peppers is also permanently tied to a fan favorite player, and that's Landon Collins. So I mean, he's got two things working against him in terms of the fan perception of the trade. Is, you know. We let Landon Collins walk. He went to a, a, a division rival where he made a, an insane contract. Um, and then at the same time, in the actual direct trade with Odell Beckham, it's all kind of muddled together, and that's why there's a sour taste. But Jabril Peppers is a very good player. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's something that should be just kind of remembered. I mean, he's not going to be that... or He could be, but he's not now... He's not currently the player that is discussed as, you know, that that guy who's almost a lock for the Pro Bowl. You know, Mm -hmm. that's not a thing that's happening. But that doesn't mean he can't be a Pro Bowl player multiple years in a row. I mean, like you said, he was on a shit team in Cleveland. He came here, which is also a shit team, and he got hurt. Um, Mm -hmm. He has the skills to be a Pro Bowl player. No question. Well, I mean, just for argument's sake, for purpose of our discussion right now, he's the star going to next year. So we don't yes. have to worry about, you know, having to draft to replace him. You no, know, he's not replacement level that we have to move on from him. He's the starter. Right. And he is a young guy that you are building around. Mm-hmm. Antoine Bethea, on the other hand, is not that at all. I mean, the guy plays like he's in his mid-40s. Um it seems that he was picked up to be part of that transition into James Betcher's defense from Arizona. It didn't seem like he had a whole lot of insight because the secondary seemed lost for at least the first three games of the year. 
Um, well, that's that's what I was mentioning to you before when you're talking about, you know, locker room presence and leadership. I mean, he was brought in to be that, but unfortunately, if you are kind of going half speed on the field, that locker room presence doesn't have the hold that it, it could. Absolutely. And unfortunately, it seems that he is penciled in as the starter this year. I mean, Julian Love came in in the second half of the year when Jabril Peppers got hurt and kind of played the safety position. He also had to change positions from his native corner um, when he was in college. So, I mean, there was some learning curve there. And he did pretty well. I mean, he wasn't... Always remember something, Grump. Mm-hmm. Just because you want to get rid of somebody, and no matter how much you hate him and how much you think he sucks, if nobody behind him is better, you're not getting rid of him. Exactly. And at this moment, as we record this on a Monday night, February 24th at 10.48 Eastern Time, he is the best uh, free safety you know, on the roster. Starting. We start right now. And as of this moment, he is the starter. Now that may change as free agent goes along and the draft goes along and, you know, maybe even a non drafted free agent comes along or a trade comes along. That situation may change, but you don't just cut people and worry about it later. You replace and then you release. Absolutely. And and behind Julian love is Sean Chandler undrafted from temple. He's shown to be more of an in the box safety. He's, Pretty good in coverage. He's just okay. He's 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 what you'd call a special teams player. Yeah, he's um, a depth guy. I yeah. mean, he's just a guy. He's the lower quadrant of your roster. If you have to bring him in there for a blow, for a play, or a series, you're not going to give up 48 points in four plays. But over extended period of time, it's going to be obvious that he's the guy to pick on. Right. And then behind that are guys you guys have never heard of, and that's Rashawn Golden and Mark <laughs> McLaurin. So I guess the basic overview here is that, look, Brian Flores is a pretty relative unknown, but regardless, Bethea is not a solution long-term and probably shouldn't even be part of a starting rotation this year. Peppers is your solid safety who excels and runs support. He would, he would be best utilized with a rangy free safety paired with him. Mm-hmm. Um... And the Giants should consider um, a talented, in-his-prime veteran to replace Bethea, I think is the best way to do this. Well, again, you know, in everything, we're going to look under that lens of do we want immediate help or do we want to kind of build somebody into longer-term help? And uh, I think this – I. I, I think personally, this might be something we, we may want to consider going through the draft and trying to build a longer term help with, you know, with maybe a little lesser cost at first. See, that's that's interesting to me because I I uh, view it a little differently. I, I don't disagree with you, but I, I think we both see the same thing. This is this is where you want the long term. Um, I think this is a spot that's worth throwing money at. And that is, you know, the the five to six year deals that you throw at a guy who's already in his prime and is ready to go. Um. Now, I, I guess if you have a shot at, um, somebody in the draft that you think is a building block to build your defense around in the defensive backfield, then you should go for him. Um, 
So, I mean, there, there, there's a guy or two in there. We can talk a little bit about Grant yeah, Delpit. Yeah, let's let's talk about him for a minute because if you, especially in college, it happens in the NFL a lot too, but especially in college, once you develop a reputation and where that reputation is built during high school recruiting, whether you have five stars, what school drafts you, you know, if you start right away, preseason, all conference, preseason, all America things, your reputation quite often is a lot grander than your actual performance on the field. And Grant Delpit is a very good safety, probably one of the three or four best safeties in the country right now. He also has a reputation that makes him out to be Ronnie Lott, and he's not. He was preseason all-SEC um, defensive player of the year before the season started. He played seven games this year. He did not play well against Georgia in one of the games he played. Or Texas. He was still voted. Or Texas. He was voted SEC defensive player of the year. And, you know, there's this, the SEC, you know, year in, year out has the best talent in college football. I don't want to hear any ACC apologists out there making the argument, shut the fuck up. With all of that talent, you know, the head start that a guy like him gets based on reputation to win these postseason awards, you know, kind of makes you get a little crooked eyed looking at when they actually win these things. So he is very, very good. And that reputation might make him out to be better than he actually is. Now, is he a guy that could be a top five pick in the draft, top four? The Giants don't trade down and he's still available? You tell me, Grump. I don't think so. I was going to say, would you pull the trigger on him if he's available at the top of the second round? Oh, I think he's going to go. I think he's going to go in the first round. I think he's going to go in the mid first round somewhere. I mean, I, I think so too, but I mean, I agree if with you. If he hangs around the, the the fourth pick in the second round, and the Giants are there, I think they take him. I don't think I don't think you ask any questions. You, sure, you, you take him, and you say, "We just got it." Well, then you kind of ask the question, "Well, why is he falling like that?" Unless he has a, uh, you know, the gas mask or something. But uh, well, I mean, maybe I, I, I really, when you look at it, he he looked best as a sophomore, in my opinion. Most of these guys do. Most of these elite guys. You know, when it's when you you know pretty much end of freshman year, beginning of sophomore year, whether these guys are gonna be out they're gonna be early enrollees after their third year out, whether they are, you know, true juniors or redshirt sophomores, you kinda know. So usually if you look at these guys that are in that situation, their best year is the year before the year they come out early. I mean, we just talked about C.J. Henderson. Mm-hmm. You know, look better. That kind of you still you still have to feel like you have to prove yourself is still in complete effect in that second year. That third year, you know, and again, we don't know what goes on on college campuses. We don't know who they're being influenced by, legally or otherwise. But you start first of all, you have your ass kiss for three years. You know you're going. It becomes business decisions, all of it. So your, you know, 
output on the field may not be as good as the previous year. Doesn't mean they're any less talented. Doesn't mean they won't turn on the switch once they go to the combines and stuff. But I don't get too worked up about productivity for guys like this you know that are leaving. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it, you want it. It you is want hard it, to like, tell. I mean, like, you have to ask that question. Like, does that carry over to a team that is struggling early on in the year? Does he check out mentally? You know, th- those are important qualities. In, in the NFL, you're not going to win all the time. Man. But also in the NFL, you know, nothing is guaranteed. Sure. You know, we, we've seen guys that have been elite draft picks that, before you're done with year two, they want you out. Ask a certain left tackle for the New York Giants. It was a top 10 draft pick. You know, his grace period lasted about 30 minutes. <laughs> and especially in a town like New York, a town like Green Bay, a town like, you know, that, that takes their football very, very seriously. They can smell a Jake a mile away. And once you are thought of one, there's no going back. And, you know, you're in a locker room. You're not all of a sudden, you know, it's not like, you know, Revenge of the Nerds, the uh, the locker room, the Adams College, where they're all the jocks. You're all of a sudden in a locker room with men, professionals. They don't, they, they have too much money on the line to have their, you know, their money, their reputation soiled by a Jake. So I think those people are weeded out really quickly. I think so too. Um, But again, that's just the kind of thing that you have to think about when you're about to spend a draft pick on somebody. Sure. And remember too, also when you're going through the combine now, the interview process is much more intense you know, the psychological profiles that they do, the, the testing, all of this stuff is so much more advanced than it was even 10, 15 years ago. They have psychologists and psychiatrists, just a battery of tests to kind of, you know, it's not perfect, but a better predictor of how does this person handle situations, fight or flight, things like that too. So there's much more science into this now than it used to be. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, as far as other safeties, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about uh, yeah. just Grant Delpit, but yeah. you know Alabama's got Xavier McKinney, also another guy who can play free safety. And remember, this is the kind of thing that we want to do. We we agree that Jabril Peppers is one of the guys that you're building this defense around. He's a young guy. He's on his rookie deal. Um, he's got a lot of talent. He excels in the box. He can play safety. You know what I mean? He's not a an additional linebacker, but what he's good at, he would probably be best paired with a free safety, which Xavier McKinney can play from Alabama. Um, But that, unfortunately, is one of the few really rare things in the NFL. You know what I mean? We we talk about position groups and and certain types of people at positions, like a a big-armed quarterback versus a game-manager quarterback. They're both good. They're just good in different ways. Or, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a three-down bell cow power running back versus the Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley kind of guy who is basically a Swiss Army knife. And, you know, 
free safety, a single high free safety, is a really rare commodity in the NFL because it requires such intense speed to cover from sideline to sideline. Um, and I think that that is something more... Um, more guaranteed in free agency when you know what you have. And when you look at guys like Justin Simmons, who is a fantastic single high free safety, it's just, in my opinion, of all the places to throw some money this year, it's a good spot to throw some money. 26 years old, fantastic, complements your other building block. You know, why not? Let me ask you something, Grump. Uh-huh. We've decided – do we know, rather, are we going back to a 4-3? Are we staying kind of multiple with it? And if so, does this make any change in opinion of what type of safeties we're going to be trying to get? Um, or does it really matter? Well, we don't know if it's 3-4 or 4-3. Um, mm-hmm. Flores has talked about how his fronts are multiple – um, and in my experience of listening to coaches, defensive coaches talk over the last 10 years, but longer, um, they all like to say that they're multiple front guys, even guys that we know that are four, three yeah. guys that we Multi- know are three, multiples, four. Multiple has become the, we like to spread it out on offense term. Yeah. Like everybody says it, but what the hell does that actually mean? It's just a buzzword. You're right. And I, I think that three four in in its purest form is allows you a lot of flexibility. I think you can play a lot of looks that look like four threes. I think you can then branch off into a four three package. Three four, I think, when you build a team for a four three, you're kind of missing that that big guy in the center. It's a lot harder to build a term around build a team around a 4-3 and then have a sub-package of 3-4 plays versus Mm. the other way around. I mean, we saw it, right? I mean, we we obtained Damon Harrison, and he excelled in a 3-4, but he also worked really well in a 4-3 as well next to Alvin Tomlinson. I mean, there was was some crossover there where he was able to play both fronts, you know what I mean? Uh, how that impacts the safety position, I think, is irrelevant. Um, I think that would affect the strong safety a lot more. I think that would uh, Julie, Julius Peppers, Jabril Peppers, would have um, in a in a four three probably less linebacker looks than he does in a three four, uh, where he can kind of almost play a linebacker spot and. You know, he can play right down there and run support. He can also drop back into coverage and be really good there. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, when it comes to pairing somebody with Jabril Peppers, I don't think it uh, impacts it very much at all. 3-4 three, four, gotcha. four, three. Gotcha. That's my opinion. I'm not a not an expert. I, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. I was just curious because, like, you know, that's one of those things that has to be decided upon. You know, what do we want to be? You know, a lot of these questions haven't been really – at least been kind of communicated to the public yet what they want to do. Exactly. I'm, I'm just curious what that's going to, you know, how that impacts their thinking on the free agent side as well as the draft. So, Yeah, and you know what's interesting is, you know, obviously we think we know Brian Flores knows what he wants to do, but 
how much of that was communicated to Joe Judge, how much of that was communicated to Dave Gettleman, I think is really interesting because I don't really know. And, and how much can he do right now based upon the current roster? Absolutely, and, yeah. The immediate, the immediate changes to that roster too. So. Like I wonder in those interviews, does he go in there and be like, listen, my defense can win it and I can win it with your roster, but I need somebody to play with Jabril Peppers or, you know, I, I don't know, whatever. Like I, how, what, how does that conversation go? I don't know. I mean, if any of you uh, out of work assistant coaches out there want to join our show and uh, <laughs> give yeah. us a, a little thought about that, we'd love if, to hear it because these are some of the things I, I'm fascinated by myself. If, I mean, if, if three-year Letterman is out there. What is, a, what is a job interview like when you're an assistant coach, a head coach, a general manager, a vice president of football operations? I mean it's – I mean, it's not like where do you see yourself in five years or if you're a tree, what kind of tree would you be? I mean, I imagine they're pretty tactical type questions and I'm wondering how, you know, what's the right or wrong way to answer this question? Yeah, I've always wondered how explicit coaches were with their scheme, the roster. Mm. I mean, you know, they they go into these interviews and they study the roster of the team that they are going to interview for. I mean, they come in there prepared. It's not like, you know, your average Joe who goes into – fucking know from one plumbing company to the next yeah but you know again you may know the roster as you're coming to right now but are you being interviewed because there's a new coaching staff coming in no head coach coming in yeah are you coming in there because there's a new gm coming in you know so it's kind of good to know the current assessment but i think you part of the reasons why you're brought in is you're part of a revamp and unless there's something like a you know, a successful coordinator is moving on to become a head coach or something. So I'm not, I wonder how important the current roster is in these decisions and the way they interview. It's a question for the ages. I really don't That's know. That's true. Yeah. But there are free agents that I like besides Justin Simmons. I think Anthony Harris is really, really good. He can play either safety spot. I think a lot of people are probably going to draw the line between Joe Judge and Devin McCourty because he was a Patriot for so long. Um, he also went to school at Rutgers, so this is a coming home kind of thing. People, <laughs> I, I, I'll do this and then we're going to sign off for the night because I, you know, I had this argument today on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. Just because you have your bubble of knowledge and familiarity does not mean that's what athletic directors, general managers, head coaches have as well. I, I, I trust you that the decision of, you know, who they bring in has got nothing to do with they played college down the street or 50 miles away or their head coach, you know, was a guy for them a long time ago. And it's just fascinating how fast people are. They draw those lines like, well, he went to Rutgers <laughs> or, you know, this guy. Oh, he's from the Patriots. You know, I will obviously no. Just because you – that's all you know doesn't mean it's all that these guys know. These guys have been in the league a long time. They have a much bigger Rolodex than you do. You know, They see a lot more film than you do of everything. So <laughs> just because a guy went to Rutgers. You know, like I said, that's the thing that some people are going to draw the line to. But remember that Devin McCourty is going to be 33 when the season starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and while he did play at a really high level – He's at that age now where it's he's probably going to listen to a contract from New England to kind of stay rooted in where he is, or you know maybe he's out there for the best contract he can get because this is his last shot, mm-hmm. or maybe he's ready to retire. 
I mean, the dude's won plenty of Super Bowls. There's not a whole lot else out there for him. Maybe he's tired of getting hit all the time. I I wouldn't draw that immediate line to Devin McCourty. I think, again, you know, at best you're getting him for two years, three years. If they're going to throw money at this position, then it's going to be for a guy in his prime, like Simmons or Harris or or Demarius Randall, to to a much lesser extent. Um, But, you know, I think that's really where they're going to go. And if, if they can't get any of those guys, maybe they'll address in the draft. Maybe they fucking won't. And they'll just, but they're going to not just toss money at people here. And one last thing, too, guys. The 2020 offseason is not the only opportunity to build this team. Right. You know, this is, you know, in my opinion, this is the third year. It's an important year, but it's still a year of a multi year process of having to tear down a bad roster and rebuild it up from basically scratch. So, you know, that's why I don't like putting, you know, with your GM, you have one more year to prove yourself because that's when short-sighted decisions are made. You put, They have now put themselves in a position they have a little more flexibility if they want to go through free agency to do something. They have more draft picks than they did before. You know, so let's... Uh, this isn't make it or break it year for anybody, whether it's this GM or this organization. So keep that in mind as we go forward. And as we go forward, our next episode will be featuring, what do you think, wide receivers and tight ends? I think so. Let's yeah. talk about the guys who can actually catch the ball. And I think that's a – might be one of the most interesting discussions we're going to have, I think, of the of – because the, uh, there's so many different ways both of these groups can go. Right. Both on the roster now and, you know, what they may be looking to do, you know, with a change in offensive philosophy. Because the offense is going to change this year. Oh, definitely. what it's been. Yeah, and, and, and that episode, just like the one you're listening to now, is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio. You name it, it's there, just like the one you're listening to now. And if you've subscribed for free, then you know that it is in your feed, ready to listen to Tuesday morning on your commute to work. Yeah, we figured out actually how to set these up in advance. So when you get up, you go, you drive to work, you get in your subway. Uh, I don't know, if you're a, uh, what do they call those guys? If, if you're Amish, you get in your carriage. <laughs> your horse and buggy. Show. Yeah, you're ready to go. Um, so give us a listen and tell all your giant friends as well. Right. And in between this episode and next week, you can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump, where I'm going to talk a little bit more about all the guys that I mentioned, maybe with a little bit of clips here and there, supporting my opinion. You catch me as always at the Cranky Fan. We are talking about a lot of fun things right now. Giant football, lightning hockey, spring training is back. Recruiting's always there. So uh, give me a follow at the Cranky Fan. All right, everyone. Go Giants. Go Giants.